0: Battling back from near-fatal testicular cancer to going on to win seven Tour de France titles, and then, of course, the well-publicized fall from grace, we dive deep into the secrets behind his motivation and how to bounce back from adversity. Lance Armstrong, my man. What's up? What's going on? All right, let's just dive just, in. The- I just got done working out. Nice, man. I kicked Tim Kennedy's ass. It was, I mean, I feel bad for him. I mean, who doesn't, right? I mean, Tim Kennedy's kind of a pussy. Just kidding, everybody. The opposite. Seriously, I owned him. He just, I was doing a different workout, but he was,
1: I could see him doing his, he was doing, (laughs) trying real hard and just kept looking over, going, fuck.
0: Fuck. He's owning me. (laughs) I mean, but if you got on a bike, though, if you got on a bike, though, you could take him. Well, yeah, but, yeah. (laughs) And I keep looking
1: at that, uh, you know, that 2K row up there. He's got his time up there. He's got the best time,
0: at least Uh on the board right now. I'm like, I bet I could do that. It kind of bothers you to see a time up there on the board that, a time, that, that, that's ahead of yours. That right? I can—that's how I relate. <laughs> <It's> real <laughs> that's, that's real weird. Start the clock—you've you, just seen yours at the very top, yeah. the lowest time. So long. How close are you to that two K row? No, I haven't here? done it. You haven't done it. No. Oh, you just eyeballing. We it. did the time. You're just thing, circling like a fucking the... mako shark, just yeah. going around that time. I never—I've never done the rowing until we
1: the influencer summit uh-huh. you had.
0: Yeah, that was the first time I really rowed. I mean, different power system, but kind of same idea right no the crossover between
1: cycling and rowing is actually very similar yeah believe it or not because most of the drive most
0: of the drive comes from the the legs legs, and low back and low back yeah yeah i can imagine that and then just the pure ability to push through pain this is something that i wanted to talk to you about on Mm -hmm. this podcast because with all my cycling experience there's it's just a lot of it is just your pain threshold it's like how much punishment are you willing to endure? You know, like there's there's always a little bit more that you could yeah. give, but the trade is in just sheer physical agony. But that's because you're not a cyclist. It didn't. It, what do you mean? It had to have hurt.
1: No, but it, but people that do, you know, the I'm not a runner, but if I go run, my it, the pain of me running is very different than the pain of Mo Farah running. Mm-hmm or if i went in the gym like you go in the gym my, that you're used to that you're comfortable with that that's a, right. that's that's been your neighborhood that you've walked around in for a long long time and cycling was my neighborhood or swimming was my neighborhood and if you haven't done that it's it's a it's a it's a rough neighborhood
0: until you do it for a long long time and you get used to it and it just it's you can't compare so when you're on one of those hill climbs and everything i mean there's just there's the physical element of the body mm-hmm. having to burn that much fuel and the muscles getting right. that exhausted i mean there still has to be even if you're a fighter you know fight, fought your whole life there's that pain threshold right. of like how much more you can give i played basketball my whole life there's that hustling back on defense mm-hmm. when you're just exhausted after a couple fast breaks that there's these moments where you have to push through you must have had you know an attitude or some kind of belief system or something inside you that allowed you to drive through more of that kind of pain. I'm right. not talking about like the joint pain and the discomfort right. and the awkwardness.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're talking about the pain where it's where people get to a spot where they just they want to stop. They want to stop. Yeah, I want to get off this bike or I want to yeah. get off this cord or I want to get out of this gym where you're just like I, I can't I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And, yeah. Um you know it's interesting, like in in if you're trying to to train at least the way we approached tour and trying to win the tour that training is it's it is truly a, an aerobic endurance event there are times it's intense and times you have to go hard but we didn't spend a lot of time training those systems mm-hmm. we spent times most of the time if not 95% of the time training that aerobic engine mm-hmm. and so and just try to follow along here so at least this is the way we did it i don't know what they do now but the idea, or the the, the the limiting factor in endurance sports is your lactate threshold. So that's, if you go sprinting up a hill and you're sprinting sprint as fast as you can, fast as you can, fast as you can, ultimately your legs start to slow and then ultimately you stop. Yep. That's because your legs and your body fills up with lactic acid. That's what stops you. And so the threshold is something that you can test and you test it with a finger prick and we would go out and test the threshold all the time through the blood. And, you know, you're trying, you know what you're, the standard threshold is for 4.0 millimoles and so our theory was always that by training just underneath that right imagine if this is a, a ceiling mm-hmm. and for the listener you have to i guess there are viewers this is the ceiling you just want to keep knocking this up mm-hmm. and the theory we also had was that by training above it you move it down yeah and so we just and and that's underneath it going like this is not they're long days yeah i mean it's not a 1 hour maximum effort it's a it's a
0: 7 hour medium effort. And would you use like heart rate monitoring to get there or what would the cuz you weren't always pricking your finger obviously right? Like No,
1: so once you establish, you know, you don't test it every day, but you test it every couple weeks. So mm-hmm. and then you know where you are. Um and there are vari- there are things, variables that can change that, right? Altitude can change it, heat can change it. Uh fatigue can change it, over fatigue over the course of days. So um you know in our sport it's what started out as a as, as training just started as how did you quote how did you feel that's yeah. how it felt yeah and then along came the heart rate monitor which you could kind of see how you were feeling oh my heart rate's 170 okay I, I know my max is 200 so you know where you are and then there was yet another evolution right at the start of my career with the power meter so the power meter came along told you <clears throat> not told you everything obviously speed cadence Heart rate, but power. So power at the crank, and that ended up being really the gold standard for how we train. So forget because the heart. So that was something you mounted on your bike. Well, it's it was it's built into the crank, right? And so the but the you know the monitor was at the like a a bike computer at Mm -hmm. the bar. So that became the way that everybody trained, and even now to this day, it's the way everybody races. So you'll see these guys in the races, and all they're doing is looking at the wattage, and you know the. A lot of people don't like that they think it's too too
0: robotic to kind of be. like f1 racing versus nascar Ro- right well yeah or they're just ripping although, around
1: although nascar is gotten pretty advanced yeah it's, you know, behind the scenes but so that that was the evolution of that and, the, and there hasn't been another evolution of that since
0: mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense and <clears throat> so you just it's not like some of these events where you're training anaerobic threshold where you're really trying because i've watched Bodie miller train mm-hmm. and he would train because largely skiing is anaerobic i mean one it's minute. two minutes right. max you have, yeah. if you're at kitzbühel yeah. you know and you're trying to hold however many g's on every one of these turns yeah. you know it was he would put 150 pounds on his back and sprint up a hill until he was like crawling and yeah, gasping I, for I, air. I would just cry. <laughs> I, I mean, you'd never see me again. If, if John Wolf had me do that, I would never come back. I swear to God, Yeah, and again, <laughs> right. but that goes to you know that goes. But that's to, a different neighborhood, right? And if and if he had to get, I'm sure if he had to get on a bike and and ride for four hours, he would never do that again. You, said, he
1: would, oh, you go ride to Waco.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like that. Yeah, right. That's yeah. what. But it's that's that's my neighborhood, so it's right. just it's just i i I see what you're saying though it's just what you're comfortable what you train your body to adapt body's so unique that way because whatever input you apply will it'll bend itself to adapt to those goals and you just started bending at what point did you start bending your body towards those goals oh my god i mean i was
1: i was not as a kid as a 10 11 year old 12 year old kid i was grew up in Plano or born Dallas, raised in kind of the suburbs, mostly in Plano. And then just as we know, um, you know, kids just get put into the obvious or the, the, the cool, you know, the, the sports that, that all the other kids are playing and all the other parents want to see their kids play. So it's football, baseball, basketball. So I tried, and I have to, but, but even at 12, I was like, you know, this is not, I'm, I'm not very good at any of these, right. I'm not a side to side guy. And, and, so I joined the swim team at twelve, which it was difficult at, even at twelve because it's a very technical sport, and most of those kids started at six or seven. So the swim stroke—I mean, you talk about putting you in an uncomfortable situation, saying ride to Waco. It's pretty. In, in most people can ride a bike, but if I said took you out to Lake Travis and said, "Okay, swim across," and you're not a swimmer, then you add in the technical factors, sure. the dynamics, and the, and the technicality of the stroke. So I, I had to learn all this as, as quickly as I could. Because as a 12-year-old, the most fucked up thing is they put me in the lane with a six-year-old. So I was like, okay, I got to <laughs> figure this out. And so, but that really started my endurance journey, for lack of a better phrase. Uh-huh. That, was, that was the beginning of it. And, and then from there, tracking cross-country in high school and then cycling and triathlon. And
0: Did you have a moment where you realized, like, fuck, I'm kind of good at this? Like, when was that aha moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, I turned pro in triathlon when I was 15. Yeah, so, so it didn't take
0: you long, 12 it, to 15.
1: Yeah, it didn't take long. And and, it, and at 14, I was entering, I was forging birth certificates to get into, because you had to be 16 for the insurance and liability of the, the promoter to get. So I was forging these birth certificates to get in um, and winning the overall. These are local and regional events. But it. So I, at that point, I'm like, all right, I, I think I got something here. And then turned pro at 15, did my first pro race, against the best in the world and got came off the bike second ended up getting fifth and uh i was like
0: all right how did you train harder i mean is your was your body just naturally adapted to that like genetically epigenetically like how do you go from 12 to 15 and already being at the top of your local
1: well the the by the so i mean i sort of joked although i wasn't kidding that i started swimming with the six-year-olds very quickly i started swimming fast yeah and so by the time i was 14 15 i was top five in the state for you know for long course freestyle or uh, uh distance freestyle and so i had the obviously the triathlon starts with the swim so i had the advantage of getting out either ahead of everybody or with the leaders and you know when you, i was a competitor so if you're with the leaders i could fake it enough on the bike i mean the bike at, at the time oddly it was was one of my weaker things and i could just stay in there and then you know suffered through the run as a young kid. It's hard to get off with 30-year-old men that are going to run 32 minutes in the 10K. It's hard to get off and run with them. But I was just in it. it, And it never even dawned on me to be like, you're not supposed to be here. (laughs) Like, I I was always, I looked around and I was like, well, fuck yeah, I'm supposed to be here. Like, it was, if I raced any race, I don't care what sport it was in the endurance world, and there was a 15-year-old kid with that, Confidence and arrogance, and I mean, because I was a total punk. Yeah, I'd be like, man. Well, actually,
0: what I would do is probably sign him up to a lifetime contract. (laughs) Recognize a little bit of self in that guy. Yeah, but it was. And how? So how much did the did competition itself play in that in that mindset? I mean, did you just really like beating other people?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, right. And that's. But to me, competition. Everything is a competition, mm-hmm. right? So obviously the the event is a competition. That's where that's where your sponsors expect you to be. That's where the prize money is. That's where the TV is. That's that's a competitive event. But even training is competitive. And and when I say that, I mean it, if you're training with if you're on a, a, a group run or a group ride, that there's no TV, there's no sponsors, there's no prize money, but that is competition, and Furthermore, if you're alone, so like when I, t- I mentioned this idea of measuring watts, and obviously you can measure time, those also are competitions, and you're all alone. So, you know, we always had fast forward to the late '90s, early 2000s. I always tested on one climb in France called the Col de la Madone, just so between Monaco and the and the Italian border. In a little t- outside of a little town called Menton. So it's about a 30 minute climb. And I would test there probably once every 10 days, mm-hmm. all alone with the stopwatch. And so that to me was as competitive as, as if there were 20 guys there or 50 guys, or right. when the TV was there and the prize money's there and the sponsors are there. Like to me, that was all, that
0: was all the same. In fact, in many ways, even better so in that though are you hypothesizing like what is your motivation for doing that is it just this internal drive to be the best you can be or are you imagining as you're climbing that mm. 30 minute climb are you imagining i do this so i can beat them right like what was what was your primary driver for that because that makes perfect sense but right. like still i'm trying to get to the heart of this heart of this motivation
1: Let me tell you, Let me tell you. <clears throat>
0: and I was I just gave this talk in San Diego the other
1: night and this was a big part of it but the the, the greatest motivator for me was the process so a lot of athletes train whether you're LeBron James or Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods whoever they and I don't know their motivation but you have to imagine that a lot of athletes train for that TV moment yeah and that's that's what they care about the most which is great that's probably what they should care about. I didn't care about the TV moment. In fact, that was more a thing that I just almost had to do. I was paid to do. The idea of, and the process isn't a training ride or 20 training rides. The process is sitting down at the beginning of the season saying, okay, number one, what's our goal? Number two, how are we going to go about it? Number three, how are we going to structure the season? And then it gets very, very specific after that down to a weekly plan, down to a daily plan, down to an hourly plan. That's all the process. And so that's all I cared about, and that's all I loved. I loved the process. And so, and then, of course, with process, you get to test. I get to test it every week on the Côte de lamadon, But then, you know, the, the final test for us was the Tour de France. And so... But that was the part. It was almost a letdown, you know. It would. I loved the build. I loved, loved, loved the build. And then you'd go. I'd go win, and it would be like. I mean, my manager would always find me in the back of the of the bus. I had this little room in the back of the bus, and everybody's outside, like signing autographs and popping champagne. I'd be in there just quiet. Yeah. He's because like, the process was over. It's over. He's like, man, what are you doing? Like, look, Everybody's out here. I was, like, I was like, I just wanted to get out of there. Just, it, it, and it just felt, I mean, I was safe in my room, but also, you know, and I just wasn't,
0: that wasn't my thing, you know, to be. Yeah. That's interesting. I've told this story before on the, on the podcast, but uh, a pro poker player was speaking to his mentor who had won the World Series of Poker. And he asked, man, when am I going to win the World Series of Poker? And the mentor replied to him, well, when it's not a big deal, if you win the World Series of right. Poker, you know, when right. you've put so much into the process, that that's just the logical conclusion of the efforts that you have put in to lead up to that point. Right. Like, it's not going to ha- You're not going to win the Tour de France and be like, holy shit, right. I won this thing. I, I, was, I, was surprised, I was surprised the first
1: year. I wasn't surprised any time after that. Yeah.
0: I knew I was going to win. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So what is, what is resistance look like? for you then because a lot of people can set that goal have the idea know what the process mm-hmm. is and still not be able to follow the process whatever forces of resistance that pull them away from that like what did that look like for you was it just absent or, or what form did it take what you were know, the things that were trying to drive you off course um well there's the
1: logical obvious one so illness injury you know obviously in cycling it's a you're on open roads you have high speeds you have
0: yeah you know equipment failure i'm talking about the internal stuff
1: oh internally (laughs) no i didn't even i didn't even know what you're talking about because there was none of that i was just that's so wild
0: that's fucking mind-blowing
1: yeah i mean (laughs)
0: that's it so like that's the fucking difference i never (laughs) that no but that but i don't think i don't know if you understand because you're you're this certain way most of us you were talking about somebody getting (laughs) cold I was like, hey, you get a cold. Well, most of us will have something that we want to do and we'll know the process in order to do it, but our in- these internal forces will prevent us from doing it. We won't show up. We'll make excuses. We'll find a way. Maybe we don't feel we're worthy. Maybe we don't feel like we deserve it. Maybe we get distracted. Maybe we just want to play small. Maybe whatever all of these other parts of that what yep. Stephen Pressfield calls capital R resistance, that internal force that keeps us from elevating to our highest levels that starts acting on us and then we don't actually get to be our full potential but you didn't have that shit well
1: okay then maybe we should back up because i I think i did i did think you were talking about you know a bike crash but (laughs) but you weren't so let's go back um because i was speaking about a specific period of time a run Mm -hmm. that i was on so 99 2005 none of what you just said existed but the key the key date is not 99 to 05 the key date is 96 when you know i was at in, you know, 94 93 94 95 96 in cycling i was i was on this <clears throat> you know this trajectory i was at the top of my game uh, and then i'm diagnosed with testicular cancer adv- very 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 advanced testicular cancer and now that you say it I, and i look back to those years well where i just said i was at the top of my game i was good mm-hmm. but i wasn't great and and we should probably go back and and force me to think about those years but post diagnosis post treatment post period of just thinking fuck i may not live like that's a very it is a coin toss mm-hmm. i was I was at peace with that because I felt like I had done all the right things. That process there—that's where I really started to learn process. You know, I dug, and this is in '96, right? So it's not like you Googled, you know, chemotherapy or surgery or cancer. I mean, you had to hustle to to do the research to start the process. And so I, I went on this journey of trying to find the best care, and 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 I got to a place where I thought I had found it. So I knew that if I lived, I could credit them, and if I died, I couldn't I couldn't blame anybody. You did your best. Because I, I, I exhausted all, and, and it just wasn't going to work out, which is crazy to think about. I never got to a place where, other than obviously diagnosis, they're told how severe it is, I'm told how severe it is. That's when everybody freaks out, right? Oh my God, I'm going to die. Then you start treatment, surgery, et cetera. It, the curve on it was... We got on it quick. Like I, I was like, I was encouraged by that. So whenever it wasn't like I got three months in, I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to live. Like, I just my doctors used to always say, the better you do, the better you do. Meaning, the quicker that they can, they can measure kill off, and that correlates to other cases they've had in the past. The better you do, and so, but that that was really a year of my life that that just rewired everything in me and, and not all of it was good mm-hmm. and so when that got rewired every day going forward from there we were talking about training and process and you know what was the resist? there was none I had been in a place that was so desperate um unsure um unfamiliar foreign that i mean it sounds corny you know but it's like it truly like we had you know we like, carpe diem He's the day all this blah 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 it's fucking true yeah like i was like i'm looking around going wait i get another shot at this thing like it is and so there was no <laughs> i think it's so funny i was I thought you were talking about bike crashes <laughs> well there was no sounds,
0: resistance it sounds like you know at the core of all resistance is fear it's fear of letting people down it's yeah. fear of letting yourself down it's fear of not living up to your potential it's fear of yeah. something and the biggest source of fear obviously for a lot of people comes from death yeah because death does all that you don't get to live up to your potential you you're going to hurt the people around you because they're going to be sad when you die and you're going to be fucking dead like it's like it's the main source of fear and for you to have to confront that and to a certain degree make peace with it right you know to of course there'll always be the some physical fear of dying if someone's coming to attack you with a knife like you're supposed to feel that fear but like getting over that chronic systemic fear in such a big way mm. might have just sucked the fuel out of those forces of resistance because you'd already conquered capital f fear yep. in its most manifest form the fear that you were going to die a slow painful death from cancer yep. like having to meet that fear transcending it well what else is yep. there's what else is going to stir up that much fear in you a good buddy of mine seth coppice lives on the big island i, I connected you with him when you were over there a
1: while ago. So his, one of his main tenants in life is never take counsel from fear. Mm. And, and it, I, I know I don't, but you know, it, it, this thing gets the tail on this is long. Like if we go back to October 2nd, 1996, you go into those, those seven years of winning the tour and, and was there resistance? It takes us to today when, you know, all of, the, of those things that I have done in, 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 in my entire life you, arguably aren't any harder or they're easier than the last five years of my life. And, 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 it, and it's interesting to see people come up to me or come visit and they're like, and the, you know, they're trying to figure out, you know, is the guy homeless? <laughs> is the guy curled up in a fetal position? Is the guy doing oxys all day long? Is the guy, wh- what is the guy? And, the, and a lot of times, I'm like, wow, I can't, like, so this is your day? This is what you do all day? I'm like, fuck yeah, this is what I do all day. <laughs> this is what, and so I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you that all of these things, in a weird way, have trained me for total and complete meltdown. Yeah. Financial, reputational, you know,
0: communal, all of it. And that's, and that's become manifest to a certain point when was the when was the peak of that when was it like when was it at its most dire where the lawsuit the the news the everything probably right before the rogan podcast that seemed like the fucking turning point rogan
1: was in many ways was was a that was an interesting uh tipping point in a lot of ways and i didn't know that joe had such a following um but I've never, you know, the main thing that people said about Rogan, and I, did, it turns out, a lot of people listen to his show. But uh, people that would they'd stop me in the street and say, "Man, why didn't you just say that?" <laughs> yeah, you know. But it's a fair question, but it's not an easy answer. Sure. Because if you, if I, and I don't remember exactly when I did Joe's show, but let's just say it's 2015, and I do Oprah in 2013. Me in 2013 is not me in 2015, and it's certainly not me in 2017. Mm -hmm. And so, and then the other big one I did was I did Howard Stern, just you know six months ago, and and obviously huge listenership, viewership, and people are like, man. So people point to Rogan and Stern, yeah, because everybody remembers Oprah, but that's that's not. I couldn't have said those things then to those two guys or to you today, what I said back then. I wasn't, I didn't really understand what was about to go down Mm -hmm. and what was not about to, what was going down and had been going down.
0: Yeah. It's a part of the, part of what another thing that I admire about you is, you know, what you're, what you have gone through and what you're currently going through. I mean, there's a fucking gigantic lawsuit Mm -hmm. and, For most people, if they had that much pressure, like I think about the things that stress me out and they're way less stressful Mm -hmm. than the shit you have, but you don't. Nobody wants $100 million from you? (laughs) No, nobody's trying to take $100 million from me. Wait a minute. Nobody's (laughs) trying to put your family on the street? (laughs) No, no, surprisingly. That's some fucked up shit. Not right now. Think about that. I have five kids. It's like. I haven't checked my phone. I mean, there could be something happening this podcast time, but as of right now. Yeah, but nonetheless, you don't. You come up, you show up here in the gym, it smiles. hanging out it it seems like like you said your whole life has prepared you for what would be the most crushing debilitating thing that a man could could bear
1: well two things number one i don't think that's going to happen and and i'm not a lawyer but i know this case inside and out and i know the law inside and out and we're going to win the case Mm -hmm. but if we lose the case i'll figure it out I always do. I've figured out. I, I mean, that's the fucking thing. Yeah, I'll that's figure. the thing. Yeah, I, I'll, because I, you have to believe. But that. I'm not sitting here just. I mean, we could have an, it's Let's just say we lose, God forbid, and and you could talk to me five minutes later, and it obviously that would just completely suck. But that's I in life and in my life, I just have made a commitment to myself and to my family and to my friends and to whoever's on the bus. We're moving forward. <laughs> and we're gonna figure the shit out, and yeah, that that would that would totally suck, and there would be some adjustments. But we'll, buddy. Compare and contrast to if my God forbid, I mean this is this is the worst thing to think. I mean your eight year old starts having weird symptoms, and 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 yeah. this has happens to people all over the world every minute of every day. And then you know your kid's diagnosed, your kid has some life-threatening illness and does I mean the death of a child I mean there there are so many things not just be doom and gloom but there are so many things way worse than that and you know I again I go through my day with the confidence that the law back to the thing the law is on our side yeah and you know there were a lot of other cases and a lot of other lawsuits that had to be sorted and and managed and those did suck I mean writing big fat checks back to people was like wow But, you know, and again, this came up in this talk the other day in San Diego. I was like, okay, so I had to sell the Gulf Stream. I had to sell the house in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. I flew out here for the speech on Southwest. But you know what? I I walked into that speech. I walked into the gym today. I walked into your office fucking head high, heart full. Yeah. Never been prouder. Yeah. And so... Like at it's the time. Good. Like there are a lot of people who's like, okay, you got to sell your airplane, you got to sell houses. Oh my god! It's like we adjust. I adjust. My family adjusts. Nobody sits around and 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 whines about not having the house in Hawaii. I mean, no.
0: Yeah. We we we. Just- well, you have to you have to have a couple things in place. First of all, you have to have the mindset that you're not going to live in the past and just spend every day of your life lamenting these past decisions that you made that you can't change anyways because so many of us fucking do that you know we get caught living backwards in some scenario where we hypothesize we could have changed oh i wish i would have done this how come i was so stupid what if i would have done this so you got to move past that mentality and then once you move past that then you also have to have the self-control of the mind to prevent yourself from having to play out every possible negative scenario that happens like for me, obsessing over, you know, what would be hard for me is both that, yes, living in the past is all is a challenge, but then also in the future, not imagining every possible thing that I would do if that 100 million dollar lawsuit hit and like, all right, why well, I'd sit on this spot. I would play a thousand scenarios that wouldn't actually prepare me hardly at all for the specifics of who I was then, at the time I was then, but I still would have a hard time keeping my mind from just living in that future hell that may or may not happen and playing out a thousand games of possibility within that future but both of those never do that (laughs) yeah yeah. because that that would because that would change the quality of the life that you live right now and that's those are traps that we all live we'll project ourselves into the future live out some future hell diminishing our current present enjoyment of life or we go back to the past hypothesizing and pretending like we have any fucking power to change or control the past rather than just being like well here i am now in the process of life what can I do now in this process that's going to get me the most enjoyment, most experience, and then I'll deal with what comes in the future.
1: Right, and you just—I just wrote it down too because
0: lament is not a
1: word I use a lot. But if—but we were talking about the past, and so you said lament, lamenting about the past, which I don't do, um, and I and I don't think I will ever do. But the one, the other, the, the L word that that I have used with the past is to learn. And so there's a big difference between lamenting and learning, and I'm not trying to sound like some sort of Spengali here, but (laughs) but I don't lament, but I have definitely learned, and I'm still learning, by the way, and I will shit probably for a long, long time. I hope be learning, Um, and so that's just you know August of 2012, when you know, or that period, the fall of 2012, when it really came crashing down. That was that moment where that was my diagnosis that was another that was a relapse where it's yeah. like, okay, now you have to learn." And so I used you know went on this journey, and again, still on it, of just learning like why am I here? why why am I in this place? Why, why, you know, what happened? Diagnosing what the fuck happened mm-hmm. I mean the, we all know the obvious one. And by the way, that's the one that nobody cares about anymore. (laughs) Like, oh, oh, he took... Oh, really? Well, if you took 10 minutes on Google, you'd figure out that everybody did. (laughs) But that's not... If it was just that, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. And so that part of it I don't even think much about. It's in terms of learning. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just other aspects of my life, my personality, my history, my attitude my relationships, those, that's the stuff that, yeah, that I've had to,
0: and enjoyed, quite frankly, learning. That's important, because obviously, you know, there's a couple stances you could take with that stuff, a couple stances you could take where if your ego was unable to admit any fault, right, then you can't learn. If you think that you're always perfect, and that you acted perfectly, then you can't learn. Right. But right. then no, it never happened. Then, then that's, if you're <laughs> not in the last five years, but then if your judge you know is too harsh, then you'll just keep in the past and you'll beat yourself up endlessly yeah. for that, so it's that it's that right balance of having you know not too much ego and not too much self self criticism to be able to go back look at all right, this is what I did, could have done that a little better, I need to learn you know I can learn from that, I can learn from this, I can learn from this, and then just once you get the learnings just keep moving forward right. you know and that's the thing that i think people have the hard for
1: everything in life everything in my life is that's that really is the overarching theme at this point is forward everything forward yeah and 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 not to not to uh, uh take on my critics or take on people from my past that that want to stay there that th- those are not those are neutral slash potentially reverse positions mm-hmm. that's not a forward position so i i just didn't well, that was I was. That's not in my DNA to get stuck. So I just kept moving forward and tried to, you know, move forward and learn and, and, and adapt and and allow myself to be completely humbled and almost you know, and humiliated by this whole process and just you know learn to live with that and learn to deal with with shit you read or people's reaction or social. You know what it's like this, these sure. days. I mean, you, you if you want to put yourself out there, you better be ready. Yeah.
0: How, what do you have any particular strategy for that? When you read some of the horrible, nasty shit yeah. that's out there, um, you know—is there?
1: Um, not. I mean, there's no strategy, but it it the things that are said now. And actually, I should back. I mean, there's a lot less of that now. But sure. let's let go back to you know from 2012 to 2014. It was there were books and documentaries and movies and i mean it was crazy Mm -hmm. um and you know part of it you want to look at and go well that's not true and that's not true and that's not true and okay that is true but uh, (laughs) no but in all of that there's stuff that's just not true it doesn't matter you can't control that and so but if you to put me back if all of that would have happened to the to the man in 2005 It would have driven him crazy. I, I, my, my skin is so thick on that now that it doesn't, it doesn't affect me. I, I, I really can go zen on that. Yeah, and you know, you then say, okay, what do I care about? I mean, two thousand five, I would have cared because I was making twenty million dollars a year. I had, I mean, every major corporate company in America was my sponsor. So you, you cared, you, oh my God, what if they hear, what if they find out, what if they, what if they call with questions, what if they drop me, what if, what if I don't, if I lose that money, I've lost all that. So I don't care. And so I get to be me and, I, and, and but, so what do I care about? Well, I, care, I, I do care about me, but I care about my family, I care about their health and well-being and, and, and how they interact with their classmates and teammates.
0: The two things that generate fear are the ego, which is based on your identity, and the body. And it seems like you've had to face the largest crisis possible for both of those things. You faced the crisis of the body, which was cancer, which is one of the scariest body crises you can possibly face. And then you faced the greatest fear of the ego, which is a total crushing reversal of your identity, your, you know, your public persona, who you are, your financial stability your profession, all of that. And you've actually literally had to face both of those things. And you've realized you come out the other side and you realize like, Hey, here I
1: am. Let me, let me, let me make this very clear for the listener. I'm I'm just going to make this Uh boil it straight down because you just, you hit it right on the head. So, and this happened overnight, not over the course of six months, a year, a month, overnight. The headline started, let's just say on a Monday, the headline was The Heroic Lance Armstrong. On Tuesday, the headline was The Disgraced Lance Armstrong. Overnight. I mean, that was some shit. (laughs) I mean, that
0: was... Uh Overnight. Well, it's like a cancer diagnosis, right? Something feels a little funny. Yep. You know? Now you got cancer. You had cancer the whole time, but it comes in a fucking comes in a moment i mean it was it was crazy yeah that is is (laughs) that's
1: how that's how quick two points quickly how quickly it flipped but also heroic heroic's a big word sure and and they said heroic because of cancer and live strong and seven tours and i guess if you look at it that kind of is heroic but to turn it all the way They didn't go to average. They didn't go to maybe. They went to disgraced. Think about that in front of your name. The disgraced Aubrey Marcus. I mean, nobody, nobody, nobody wants that name in front of their, that word in front of their name. I mean.
0: I mean, I guess you could say at least you were graced. In order to be disgraced, you know, at least you had had to get somewhere first. But no, 100%. I mean, this is, these are the greatest fears that you have to face. And I think. In my life I've realized that the more that I can lean into these fears, mm. you know, the better a man I become. The the less the more that I can kind of conquer capital F fear at large, the less that influence of fear limits my free will, limits my ability to choose, limits my ration, you know, like fear is the thing that'll it'll make you emotional, it'll make you quiet, it'll make you play small, it'll it is the source of this resistance. And so the more you lean into it and beat it on whatever little level that it comes. The better off you'll be, and yeah. I think that's why I've driven my life into, you know, doing things like plant medicine. Like the first time I did ayahuasca, it took me through all of the fears that I had, that I had. So <laughs> the first one was I had visions of these bugs. I, didn't, I don't really like bugs, but there was bugs crawling in my ears and in my eyes and in my nose and down my throat, and they were laying eggs and they were exploding out of all my head. <laughs> they're were, they're were making It'll like worms in my stomach, and they were crawling all around, and I was like oh this is uncomfortable but i think i'm okay with this like i wasn't that scared of it and then it had me sliding down this vine of thorns naked and the thorns were like ripping up my balls and my dick and everything was just getting shredded and i was getting you know completely eviscerated by this vine of thorns and i was like that was really unnecessary especially to be naked and to see my balls turn into fucking cheese grater you know on this vine of thorns like that was and unpleasant you remember all that shit? oh yeah i remember it vividly clearly right so i'm sliding down there <laughs> and then and then so and you know it you know you're kind of in medicine and it's not you don't feel it so it's not completely real but it right. feels real enough and then you like, but what check, really make sure you give a little you just give a little grab yeah you was, <laughs> give a little grab uh but the one that got me was ayahuasca was in like when i was okay with that and it didn't really get to the core of the fear it was like oh and by the way you have cancer mm. like that was the ayahuasca gave me that diagnosis in ceremony and you know i'd had family members who'd had it and it was something you know a latent fear in my mind so it told me that and that was the diagnosis it wasn't a doctor but it was you know dr ayahuasca who told me that i had cancer and i had to wrestle with that for two hours and i fought it and said no it's not i'm just hallucinating this is bullshit i don't actually have it and it's like no you do you really do this is medicine just actually tapping into your body's wisdom and letting you know that you actually have it so you really do have it and this is just the time that you found out and i was like oh my god i can't believe it until finally somebody's actually saying that it's all in my head all in my the head shaman's not no the shaman doesn't even speak english he's just with his ikaros,
1: just in your head. You're just going. in my
0: head. Ayahuasca is talking to me and telling me that, and so it it finally convinces me that all right, you have cancer. And I said, finally, after two hours of rolling around and vomiting and like, oh no, please, like fighting it, I just surrendered and said, all right, I have cancer. Mm-hmm. I'll fight it if I can. I'll live the rest of my life as beautifully as I can. So be it. Mm. And the moment that I let go and said, so be it, the fear lost all of its power, yes. and it felt like that scene from Avatar where all of these tiny spindles of of light and fibers like held me into the ground and like just drew me back into the core of earth where i was connected to all things where eventually you know my body would go and it was this most peaceful one of the most peaceful moments of my life mm. so for me and i've used that lesson to be like okay that got me a lot over my fear you know because i didn't have to actually feel it in the in the in the actual physical world right. i got to feel it in my own psyche right. in my own mental world and reap some of the benefits now obviously you can kind of slough that off as like i was just an eye but it but it counts it counted in my ability to overcome that fear and so i think that's one of the things that's kept kept drawing me into these plant medicine ceremonies and drawing me into other things like open relationship you know areas where i find things that i'm terrified of oh yeah someone sleeping with the girl that i love that's fucking terrifying well maybe you should I didn't know we going to get into on the yeah. on the other side of that, right? Like,
1: <laughs> I didn't like, know we were getting into all this. So, <laughs> like, you need to save this for my podcast.
0: <laughs> sure, this man. is your podcast. <laughs> sure, but I, we're going to repeat I just, this. Shit. I just, I just, absolutely. <laughs> I think it's just it's interesting that you've actually had to experience it in the manifest, mm. and that's no, it's been a it, five year ayahuasca time. Yeah, it has been. It has been hundred. The way
1: you just described all of those things, and I've never done ayahuasca, although I'm not opposed to that but i'm a little terrified of that but the way you just described it is is the way that it has felt yeah and and another big fear that we all have and i speak to this all the time is do we have friends Mm. right do we have it's a big one it's a huge one and who is who is our friends and it's not you know oh you're my best friend oh this is my friend no i mean friends and friendship and so that's been the gnarliest experience of all of this because, you know, when it's when the lights are bright and the champagne's cold and you're in a <laughs> swanky city like Paris, let me tell you something, brother, you got a lot of fucking friends. Oh yeah. The day after Oprah 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 Winfrey in you know January of 2013, that's the polar opposite, right? So that's heroic to disgraced, and so. You quickly figure out who your true friends are. You quickly yeah. figure out what true friendship is, what love is, and what partners are, and what community is. And so that, that is, as dark as all that sounds, it's been the most beautiful thing. It's I been bet. the thing that, uh, on both sides, it's, it's been good to know or to learn who really wasn't a friend, and i don't i don't say that from a dark place because you know it's it's always nice to cull things in your life but this the flip side is learning who true friends are people that you didn't even they weren't interested in bright lights and cold champagne and swanky cities they 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 just wanted to hang when they could
0: and yeah
1: so then they're both surprises but but the but the upside surprise is way 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 better than the downside surprise
0: i think particularly when you're in a position of power power creates a distortion field because if you have power then it tickles the other people's desire to For sure. get a piece of that power right so you create this power distortion field like if you got nothing you kind of probably are pretty confident that your friends are your friends right you know what i mean but as soon as you have power and wealth and opportunity and the ability to be something greater by being your friend then I think everybody has that moment, some latent fear that mm. are these really my friends or are they not my friends? Because they're benefiting in a significant way from this friendship. And I think I see that with so many powerful, powerful people. Where well, all... you see it. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Stop. I do.
1: Look at the trajectory of your story. Sure. The trajectory of this business. If you don't see it, you better see it. Yeah. No, 100%. And the interesting, you, you said power, you know, and you talked about what is perceived power, right? I think you said perceived power, because it really is perceived power. Mm -hmm. Because with celebrity and with success in sport, whatever it's, sports, business, entertainment, politics, that's perceived power. Which, I guess, the moral of the story is, after the five-year ayahuasca trip, I feel more powerful now than I've ever felt my entire life because I know these things, personal power, personal power. So yeah. that's very different than, yeah. Yeah. than perceived power. And it's just, it's such a better place. And so it's like, as fucked up as all this has been. And as loud as I could scream for years, like this is wrong and I'm getting screwed. And Oh my God, I wouldn't change a thing because mm-hmm. I get to sit here today. Just, just the way I sit and I'm going to leave here and I'm going to drive in my car to my <laughs> office as me. And, and it's just, it's, I mean it's a it's a like it's an amazing spot that that I never knew that well no
0: that did not exist for
1: me in my life.
0: You're you must feel freer now than you ever have. Are you happier now than you've ever been? For sure. For sure. I mean I don't have any I don't
1: work for anybody. Yeah. Which is nice. Um just on a you know, obviously my kids are happy and healthy and doing great in school and I have a great partner and um yeah, it's um uh, you know, it's, it's, it's it just, I keep going back to this, but I just, I feel like, and again, it's evolving and changing and, and there are other X factors out there, but I feel like I wake up in a real position of power and not mm-hmm. that I'm going to go, you know, create a hundred million dollar business or I'm going to create, you know, some other thing that they write about. It's just, it's just a walk through life. Yeah. And it's, I could be walking to the gym or I could be walking through an airport or it's just like i'm ready yeah
0: that's <laughs> it's that that's i think everything that we're striving for but we get confused i mean i think if someone said what was the peak of lance armstrong's happiness who didn't really understand psychology and understand you they'd say oh fuck you know right in the middle of that run you know it's got oh, to be the would, happiest would, that's they, the happiest he'll ever be
1: they would say after winning his seventh tour engaged to one of the most famous rock, famous and beautiful rock stars on the planet that's it. couldn't get any better. Yeah, well,
0: I mean you it's and here you are, th- and this is the happiest you've ever been. yeah,
1: it's not even. and I, and, and it was fun, sure. then, right? Fun is fun is fun. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that I wouldn't trade this place for that or any other place for anything, anything. And who knows what's around the corner?
0: right and again this is a lesson to just focus on the process of life yeah like no matter no matter if if this is your peak or whatever you've gone through like the whole process cumulatively is leading towards if you keep doing the work and if you keep improving keep learning you know it's just going to get better whether the whether the pinnacle of your career the peaks the valleys the things that happen like just enjoy the whole thing it's clearly not about the destination the whole thing is the destination the process itself is the destination Yep. you know and then so just focus on the fucking process because here this is the perfect testament of all the highs all the lows everything and here you are now even with this hundred million dollar lawsuit over your head the happiest lance armstrong you've ever been
1: yep that's right
0: man (sighs) that's that's a lot of that's a lot of wisdom did i mention him that i
1: kicked tim kennedy's ass in the gym
0: today i mentioned yeah. that didn't i yeah like physically right like like you just slapped him a few times and yeah he, he's a he's a special individual yeah. that guy so much that's one of the beautiful things i love about he's
1: So conservative like all these, <laughs> do you see these tweets no i haven't seen it <laughs> kind of makes you want to whoop his ass in the gym. i mean it's like how can you you can't think that. nobody can think that way you cannot think that <laughs> you, way. Should, you need to have him on your podcast you guys need to go, I back could, go back i couldn't listen to what, whatever he tweets and i couldn't listen okay podcast over we're done we're done no
0: you'd have to stick through it you have to fucking just I, he, he, yeah yeah that's, that's i do love getting all these different perspectives on there because then you start to be able to piece together because we're all just trying to figure it out you know and i think too many times what's projected is not accurate you know like so it's not helpful you know like LeBron James is not a helpful person to get inspired by, in general, because it's just like in high school he looked like the strongest grown ass man you've ever seen in your life. Like, where was his struggle? Where was his challenge? Where was the stuff that you can really learn? It looked like
1: one. He only had one struggle.
0: Yeah, and and so and what was that? When he when he you you think back when he when he left he cleveland and cleveland left and he made, cleveland they in they Miami. made
1: a big to do about it the decision or whatever they yeah, called yeah, it and yeah. he did the sit down with jim gray i mean he was most would say he was for that month or however long it was he was the most hated man in sports like it was viewed very critically
0: but and he never really opened up to how that felt right no. like like he hasn't had this moment where he goes and being like man that was fucking hard yeah. like these were the hard times these were the the negative thoughts that i had during that period because that is actually inspirational like that actually means something like yes from the outside we can imagine but he just kind of like it seemed like he just kind of like yeah you know whatever it's business but by the
1: way watch it's going to happen again he's going to leave again yeah and he's going to go play for the lakers (laughs) and they're going to be fine with it like it's going to be a totally different they're going to be like i understand yeah you want to go with it's nice weather and you have a house there and you've won us a couple championships and your kids are happier there Go ahead. <laughs> like it's gonna be completely yeah different.
0: It's true. It's true. Well, it was fucking awesome to be able to sit down and hear that hear that those words of wisdom from me, man. Thanks, it's been brother. fun fucking it's been fun hanging out at On. It. Yeah, absolutely. It's been good for me. Yeah. Yeah. The whole crew no doubt the whole is solid more adventures to come my friend absolutely more adventures to come and I'll, so. I'll jump on your podcast here sometime soon let's too. do it we, we'll we'll go deep. i'm glad we'll i stopped weird. you from all yeah, of we'll... open relationships <laughs> we'll, we... go, we'll go deep we'll get weird so. you've already told me some stuff
1: where i've, I've put it in my <laughs> in my hard drive like okay okay we're gonna talk okay. about this
0: shit all right let's bring that up <laughs> thanks brother yeah brother for sure hi i'm aubrey marcus ceo of Onit.com at on we've revolutionized the health and fitness industry with our unique and effective line of earth-grown supplements and foods aimed at helping you achieve total human optimization today i want to tell you about a product that has truly changed my life for the better new mood new mood is an effective daily stress supplement made with earth-grown nutrients designed to help you relax and help your body maintain an optimal mood balance great for unwinding after a long day and helping to ease ordinary stress New Mood works by combining the two raw building blocks of important neurotransmitters, L tryptophan and 5 HTP, to help the body maintain a state of peaceful calm. Safe for daily use, New Mood is ideal when you are under stress, down in the dumps, or just need some refreshing sleep. Thousands of people worldwide are already enjoying the relaxing effects of New Mood on a daily basis. And right now, as a special offer, we're giving you the opportunity to try New Mood totally free. Just pay shipping and handling, and we'll send you out a free 30-count bottle of New Mood right away. Simple as that. We're only able to offer a limited amount of free bottles per day, so get your free bottle of New Mood now. Go to onnit.com trial, that's O-N-N-I-T dot trial, to pick up your first bottle on us after shipping and handling.